Hey everyone, we just launched a new show called Request for Startups. In the first season, we've got a rotating lineup of tech founders and investors joining me to share their requests for startups they want to exist in the world, and also share their stories of navigating the idea maze in different sectors so founders don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. The first episode is out now. We cover better dating apps, references as a service, and we work for productivity. Listen first, then build. Video episodes of the show are on our Substack. You'll find a link in the description. Having specific titling is really helpful and not really so much from an SEO perspective. SEO doesn't seem to really exist too, too much with podcasting yet. But what I found is with our show specifically, there's one keyword that blows up every single episode and that's Warren Buffett. If we include Warren Buffett in our title of a podcast, it does significantly better than any other episode. Look for that word in your niche. I don't know what it is in tech. I don't know what it is in product management, sales, et cetera, YouTube. I don't know what it is, but there's got to be something, or, or maybe it's a few words that do really, really well in your titles. People really want to learn about it. Leverage that. Talk about that a lot. Use it in your titles frequently. Don't overdo it, but use it frequently. Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most influential media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top-tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empires or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones and let's dive in. So Robert, by, by way of introduction, for those who are not familiar, why don't you talk about the Investors Podcast Network, uh, what, what it is today, and maybe a bit of background on your journey on how you came to start it, because you have a bit of a, uh, of a round, rounding journey. Yeah. So the Investors Podcast Network is a media company more than it is a traditional podcast network. We could kind of get into the difference between what a traditional podcast network looks like today versus what we're doing. But we're more of a media company that's main product is podcasts. We have a handful of podcasts now, uh, mostly all about investing, mostly about the stock market in general. We do have a real estate show as well, but generally about uh, investing in the stock market in the equity markets. And it started actually back in 2014 by two gentlemen named Preston and Stig, uh, Stig Broderson and Preston Pish. I joined the team about four years ago. Uh, I was not employee one, but I was uh, pretty early on in the team. I was basically, they ran the show for about four years and it grew into the largest stock investing podcast in the world. And they decided that they wanted to launch other shows, utilize the brand that they've built and launch other shows. And so they were part of the search was to find a new host because they didn't want to launch another show with them as the host. They wanted to kind of scale this and they have limited hours in the day. Right. So I ended up getting connected with the guys in 2019 and 2020, I believe it was 2019 was when the show launched 2020 around that time frame, And we launched the first, uh, show that was not We Study Billionaires, which is still our flagship show, which is called Millennial Investing Today. And then we also, about six to eight months later, launched our second show. We've launched some others that have not been quite as successful that are no longer live, no longer being published. And we have some other new shows still today that are, are very successful. So that's kind of how we got to where we are today and where we're at. Fascinating. Talk about the, um, what is the difference between a media company and, and a podcast network as you see it? Yeah, the way I see it, right? And, and this is just kind of the way I look at it. Other people might see it differently. But generally what I've seen from other podcast networks is that they 
don't necessarily have a unified brand. Some do, like uh, Wandry. You know, Wandry does pretty good with their branding, but some other podcast networks, they just kind of scoop up all kinds of podcasts and they put them into one one holding and they kind of promote each other and they kind of help each other out, but they're not really succinct. They're not really all together. They're not really all part of one company. And for us, it's more so that this is all our company. We we're leveraging all the same branding, all of our same team, all of, you know, all of that. So it's, it's rather than just kind of rolling up all these podcasts and putting them together that they're not really related. Like, you know, I might have a health one and you might have a sports one. You might have a business one, you know, just kind of putting all this stuff together that doesn't necessarily jive versus having a media company that's really focused around kind of a whole picture of, of that type of, of podcast. Totally. And, and to, when you give uh, the audience, just in case they're not familiar, when you describe the, the different shows on, on your on your network today, and and uh, you, you hinted at, at at some of them, but when, when you describe the whole the whole package that, that exists, yeah. So we have we study billionaires, we have richer, wiser, happier, we have Bitcoin fundamentals, millennial investing, and real estate one hundred and one or real estate investing. So they're all pretty related. They all have the same artwork, same graphics, same you know, theme and, and brand. So that's really helpful in terms of building a media company. I'm really inspired by, by your journey. So I'm in tech. I've spent the last seven years as a venture capitalist and, and also as a, as an operator. And I think that there is a shortage of great vertical specific podcasts. There's, there's some great ones in, in crypto, let's just say, but for FinTech or healthcare or even AI now, there, there's just very few really good ones. So I'd like to create niche tech vertical podcasts. I'm also excited about there are these creators that have emerged in tech. Uh, Lenny Rachitsky, for example, has a great newsletter and podcast for product managers, and he's making seven figures um, just doing that. And I'm curious if one could create something similar for sales, engineering, growth, um, et cetera. So, so niches for people who are trying to get better at their job and people who are trying to deeply understand a, a sector. Uh, there are a number of questions I have about about how you guys run your business, but based on what I'm initially saying, what what feedback or advice might might you might you have for me? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely possible. I think networks can work, like the traditional networks can work, and what we're doing can work. It just kind of depends on on how you want to how you want to do it. I think branding is something that you'll want to consider. You might want to consider all things that are in one vertical or all semi-related to be similar in branding. And then the next vertical maybe be all similar in branding and so on. So if you have, I don't know how niche you're going to get, but if you have inside sales, outside sales, uh, you know, sales for different industries, like you'll, you might want to just make all of those similar brandings, different names, different logos, et cetera, different artwork, but similar branding. And then if you're going to do something, just to kind of use your examples, you're going to use product mark, uh, product manager, right? That might be a different vertical. You might do P- both PMs, project managers, product managers, you know, that kind of world might make that a little bit different branding, uh, but all still kind of part of the same company. I think Wandery does this really, really well. Uh, NPR does it pretty well as well. So uh, just think about the branding is is what I would recommend, especially if you want people to, to go between the two. If you don't I mean, I think that's one of the best things yeah. about having a network is like people see our branding and that's why it's so important is people will see our branding when we launch a new show and they're like, oh, I recognize that, that branding. Like 
I love this other show. Like, let me check out this one. But if we use totally different branding and it doesn't really match what we're doing, it's not going to work. People aren't going to just organically find it. So I think that that's important for you to consider. Totally. In the beginning, how did you guys think about sequencing for, for the shows? Because that's something I'm, I'm thinking, is it opportunistic around, can you find a great host or is it like, this is underserved or how did you think about which shows to, to launch in, in kind of what order? Entirely optimistic. I, I wish I could tell you that we had a grand plan. Uh, today, we have a little bit more of a grand plan, but we're not really launching new shows right now. We really haven't been launching too many new shows. It's really been opportunistic and kind of host fit. So, you know, at first, our first show, Millennial Investing, we said, okay, well, We Study Billionaires, the biggest stock investing podcast in the world. And let's la- let's launch this one. We're going to cover similar topics, but rather We Study Billionaires is targeted towards a little bit older audience, a little older demographic. So let's take that same information and tailor it for millennials. So we did that. Wasn't really, you know, much more than that. That was just kind of the thoughts. And then we said, okay, well, people love real estate and a lot of people ask us about real estate. So let's launch a real estate show. And then Preston was talking a lot about Bitcoin on We Study Billionaires and we're like, you know, people didn't really like it on We Study Billionaires because We Study Billionaires is founded in value investing principles, Warren Buffett style. And so they weren't really on the Bitcoin train, so they didn't like it. So we said, okay, let's make another show just about Bitcoin. And then our last show, Richer, Wiser, Happier, we were able to partner with the amazing author, William Green. And so it just kind of made sense to, to do that one. So it's really just been kind of what what we want to do as a, as a company and not so much what we think is missing. Now that said, it's partially timing as well. Like we studied billionaires was what they wanted to do at the time, but it was also missing. Like they created it because it, it wasn't there. They wanted to study value investing and talk to each other about value investing. And there wasn't really good podcasts back then. I mean, remember this is 2014. There are some really good ones now. Uh, and so even, even our first couple shows, like, they were 2018, 2019, 2020. Like that was still, I know it's only two, three years ago, four years ago, but that was still relatively early and there weren't that many shows today. I mean, there's tons of tons of shows covering what we cover. So there was kind of a gap, but not, that wasn't really a focus for us. Yeah. And it is fascinating. And so, so some of the shows have been big hits. You also mentioned, you know, just like anything, some have been misses. For the ones that have been misses, why were they misses or what did you learn from, from them? So- Two were misses. I think we've launched a total of, we have three, two, five, seven. So we've launched seven. Uh, Five have been pretty successful. Two have been not so successful. I think when I say not so successful, it also depends on what your measuring stick is. I think for 95%, 97% of people, they would have been pretty successful shows. Like the shows were pretty close to top 1%. Uh, in terms of size of all podcasts, but to really be profitable at what we're doing, it has to be top 0.01% or 0.1%. So for a lot of people who are just kind of doing this as a side hustle, et cetera, it would have been a good, a good show. So I don't want to say that it was entirely a failure. Uh, a couple of things we learned from it was uh, the first thing is topics. I'd say there's three major things. Topic, where you put the podcast and who the hosts are and how they, their culture fit. So First, the topic. The topics were related to what we were doing, but they were a little bit different. One was all about technology and tech and what was going on in Silicon Valley. And yeah, there are there was a portion of our audience who was interested in that. So maybe they're tech investors. Maybe they, they are tech people like yourself who also enjoy the stock market. So there's kind of that overlap there. But I, I wouldn't say it was a great fit. And then we also had one that was just about 
kind of personal development or, or happiness. It was, it was called, uh, I forget the exact name, but it was happier, uh, something about having a happier life. And while that can apply to everybody, right? Everybody wants to be happy. It just didn't really catch on with the audience. So the topics might not have been the best fit. Uh, the third thing was, and this is going to be something that I, I highly recommend you consider, and there's not necessarily one right answer, but it is how we launched it and where we launched it. So today, if you look, we have five shows. Three of them are all in one podcast feed. Two of them are in another feed. So we have five shows, but only two podcast feeds. And so at the time of launching those two shows, we were launching them all as their own podcast feeds, as their own individual kind of like entities. And we didn't realize how difficult it was or what there was going to be for friction to get people from a show that we already had to go to a new feed and subscribe and listen versus just having the new shows episodes already in the existing feed. So, you know, we figured, okay, we have a hundred million downloads to date. Like we're going to get a good percentage of those people to go over this new feed. And that just wasn't really the case. The only thing I could really attribute it to was topic and the friction to switch or to add a new show. So those are two things. And the third thing is just kind of personal to our company, but might not have been the best culture fit. Uh, maybe just, you know, like I said, the hosts are really part of the team here, not just outsourced to, they're not just like freelancers or, you know, subcontractors or things like that. Like they're part of our team and that's really important. So there might've just been a, a little bit of a culture mismatch there, but those are the, those are the three things I would say that have led to those shows not being as successful. Fascinating. And so you'd recommend that I have podcasts in this, that very few feeds basically. Would you recommend just put it all under under one, even though different audiences, different? Yeah. How do you think about that? I personally would put those all in one. Mondays is podcast. Wednesdays is YouTube. Fridays is, you know, whatever. TikTok, you know, whatever you want to do. I, I personally would go that way. There's a couple, a couple ways to think about this. There's definitely pros and cons. Some people will tell you no. Some people will tell you yes. Uh, from a business standpoint, I'd say like just true gener uh, revenue generation, it, it's almost always better to put them in the same feed. Now, you might not get as much as, as good of a user experience. What we experience is one of our feeds, we have value investors and Bitcoin maximalists, totally different ends of the spectrum. They each kind of complain about each other. And so while it's been helpful for revenue, it's been a little bit of a disadvantage for user experience. They don't really like each other. Our other feed, they're a little bit more related. People have never complained about them being in the same in the same feed. So keep that in mind. I do think personally, I think it's like it's easy enough to just skip the episode. Like I skip episodes all the time for shows that I, I listen to. And if and it is just my opinion, but if you see an episode coming up that you don't like it, it's about YouTube and you're not doing YouTube, just just skip it. You know, if you're only a podcaster, just skip it and wait till Monday and the podcast one comes out and you're good to go. That's kind of my opinion. That's what I tell the value investors. I'm like, if you don't like the Bitcoin episode, just skip Bitcoin and wait for the next value investing episode. There's different artwork, different titles, different prefixes to the episode. So it's very clear what's what. And I personally think that's, that's the way to go with, with podcast structuring. Yeah. That, that, that's fascinating. What about on the YouTube side? Is it, is it the same thing or do you recommend different channels? Because doesn't it matter like what percentage of people, you know, look at certain videos? So we're testing this right now, actually. So we had one channel where it was everything. We had all of our podcasts were going there. We made some native YouTube specific content that was going there. We had everything going there. Pros and cons to that as well. Uh, and we just recently split it out into each show having their own 
and also the native episodes having their own. We haven't seen great results from that, but if you look at some other big big channels, bigger pockets, uh, Dave Ramsey, this, these are just kind of in our space, the investing and finance space, not necessarily tech, but they have separate separate pages, so it can work. Uh, look at Graham Stephan; he's really big. He's got separate channels. So it can work for sure. I, I don't honestly know what is better. Uh, I think what's different about YouTube is that it's not a curated feed. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm different, but like, I don't just go and watch all of the YouTube videos in an order that somebody posts, even if I'm subscribed to them. That's just not how it works, right? It's a different, there's a different way to find, there's a different search feature of, of YouTube than podcast. Podcast, it comes out in a feed, in a list. So I think that makes it a little bit different. And that's why I personally kind of think everything should be kind of combined or closer together. But it also kind of depends. If you're doing something super different, then if you have two topics that are entirely different, you might want to split those up. But if they're if you're doing just general marketing, media empires, like you said, YouTube, podcasts, et cetera, I personally like all that together. But you know, people have had success both ways. So I don't know what the exact answer is. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I already got a lot of value out of this out of this podcast. So here's a scenario. You have a couple of podcasts that you've most of them have been hits. Some of them have been only relative hits, not not where you wanted it to be. I had a couple of things like that too, where you know it's in the top one percent, but it's not where I want it to be. But I'm I'm going to launch a new podcast, and I'm wondering if I should use the same feed and just like re- rebrand and relaunch, or just start from scratch. And and maybe you'll launch new shows in the future, and, and you might have the same kind of question. How, how do you think about that? It's a good question. We didn't. We have not used those old feeds, but. I don't think that that would necessarily be a bad thing. I I don't, I don't think it really matters to be honest. When you think about the materiality of it, you might pick up, I mean, you did have a decent sized show before, so you could pick up some subscribers. Some people will stay with it. Some people will be like, it'll remind them that they were even still subscribed. They won't like the topic. They'll unsubscribe. So, you know, I'd say it's relatively immaterial, but it might be worth the little bump that you get at the beginning. I mean, the reality is most people probably aren't going to remember that feed anyway. So I, I guess I don't really see a downside. I, I guess the one downside is like, does it, and maybe this is a naive question. Does it mean you won't get like featured in Apple or something or, or are there other you know, like things that may, may not be true as a result of it? And I'm, I'm curious just if Apple is part of your strategy or how you guys think about podcast growth and distribution generally. Yeah. I mean, right. If you're trying to go for a new, new and noteworthy, which is like a big category in, in Apple. Yeah. You're not going to get it. Right. Cause that, that feed is old and Apple doesn't really know you're launching a new show. They just think you're restarting the feed. So yeah, you probably would not get notif- like recommended there. That said, we have some of the biggest podcasts in the investing world and we've never been featured there. So I don't think that you could, I, I wouldn't be, that would not be a factor in my decision. Uh, and if you update the categories of the show, like as long as you go in there and update the settings and that if it was education before and now it's finance or tech or business or whatever it is, as long as you update that, you should be able to move the show to the correct category for the new one. So I, I wouldn't really be too worried about that either, you know, in terms of being featured on categories and lists and things like that. So I don't think that would be too, too much of an issue. That makes sense. T- talk more about how you think about just growth and distribution for, for podcasts in general. Yeah. So there's a couple things. Uh, the first thing I'll touch on is probably the biggest mi- misconception that I've seen from our own experience, but also helping other podcasters is that you don't need the biggest names necessarily to grow your show. And they don't necessarily always grow your show the most. They do provide different value and we can talk about that, but it's not just pure growth. So 
I've talked to the likes of Kevin O'Leary, Jesse Itzler, some sharks from Shark Tank, like some really big names. They're some of the worst downloaded shows we have. We've had some other other guests on the show who are much, much smaller. They do have a personal brand. They do have a following, but they're much smaller. And they've been some of the most most popular shows we have. And the reason for that is because they share the show and the, the larger people don't. So it doesn't matter that Kevin O'Leary has 5 million followers or however many he has because he's not sharing it to his audience. So they're never going to see it anyway. It doesn't matter how big the audience is. He could have 100 million followers. It doesn't matter if he's not sharing it to them. So what I found is you can find people between 20, 50, 100,000, 200,000 followers that has a really engaged audience that they're willing to share the show. That is going to provide a lot more value for you and your and growth than finding a big name who's not going to share the show. Now, everything equal, if they're going to share the show, you want the bigger the account, the bigger the name, you know, the better, right? But what I found is if they if they're past a certain level, they're not going to share it. They just period, they won't. I've had dozens of them. They just don't do it versus medium-sized people. They'll share it. And you do that pretty frequently. Now you're reaching 50, 100,000 people every episode and that starts to snowball. And then they start liking your show and they start sharing it with other people and so on. So that, that helps. And then for us, I found that having specific titling is really helpful and not really so much from an SEO perspective. SEO doesn't seem to really exist too, too much with podcasting yet. But what I found is with our show specifically, there's one keyword that blows up every single episode and that's Warren Buffett. If we include Warren Buffett in our title of a podcast, it does significantly better than any other episode. It doesn't matter what else is before or after those words. If Warren Buffett is in the title, it just does really well. Look for that word in your niche. I don't know what it is in tech. I don't know what it is in product management, sales, et cetera, YouTube. I don't know what it is, but there's got to be something or, or maybe it's a few words that do really, really well in your titles. People really want to learn about it. Leverage that. Talk about that a lot. Use it in your titles frequently. Don't overdo it, but use it frequently. And so those are some of the things that have worked really well. And the, and the third thing is just guesting on other shows, guesting on other podcasts. I've learned if there's one big thing I've learned is that you got to reduce the friction as much as you can. And, you know, advertising, paid ads, whether it's social or newsletters is really tough because you're asking somebody that's scrolling on social media or reading an email to go to another platform and subscribe. And there's just a lot of friction there versus maybe a paid ad in another podcast or guesting on another podcast that you're in the same medium. They're already in the app. They already, you know, they already like podcasts. So with a newsletter or just paid social ads, you got to hope that they like podcasts to begin with, which is a relatively small percentage of people when you look at the global scale. I mean, it's large in our world, but the, the global scale is not a lot of people that are into podcasts. So you have to find somebody that's interested in podcasts and also get past the friction. So it, it's really leveraging these channels that are already have podcast listeners that have a low friction. So guests on podcasts, advertising podcasts, we have seen significant spikes in episodes where I was a guest. So maybe I guessed the episode releases on Monday, my next episode that goes out on Wednesday, I've seen a big, big increase before. Not every time, but it, it is valuable. That, that, yeah, that, that's very helpful being, being guests um, and, and partnering with podcasts. The uh, say more about monetization. Uh, I'm curious both on, on an individual podcast level, but then also on the broader podcast network level. Like you talk about a broader media company, like what, what, how should podcast networks to the extent that they want to be, you know, as ambitious as possible and not just stay within podcasts, think about where's the real opportunity to build 
you know, uh, durable enterprise value or like, you know, make, make as much money as possible. I think if you want to make the most money possible, you have to sell something else other than just ad space. I mean, that said, look at Tim Ferriss, look at Joe Rogan, it can be done, right? But those are like, there's maybe five, 10, 15 podcasts in the world that make that much money, you know, real durable competitive advantages that make significant amounts of money. I mean, you know, we pull in millions of dollars from ads, but I'm talking tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, you're going to need something else. You need other products, need other services. I think that's how you really build the durable brand and, and, and company that can scale. We've struggled with that. That's something we've had a hard time with is converting our listeners to other pro paid products and services that are not ads. Uh, we've done, I think, 95, 97% of our revenues from ads. We've done really well with that. But I think for you, if you can early on, focus on other pod, uh, pro products and services that you may be able to offer. Uh, I've heard podcasts with 500 people a month that listen that make tens of thousands of dollars a month because they sell other products and services. They would make pennies dollars, you know, on, on ads, it just wouldn't even make any money. So you have to hit a real scale to make any significant money with ads. Now, going back to our earlier conversation about combining feeds, we've noticed that we make three times more money off every episode by combining them in the same feed than we did with previous episodes. So when we, we originally split out millennial investing and real estate investing, they were separate. And I'm just going to use random numbers here to make it easy math, but let's say one episode would get 3000 downloads per episode when it was in the real estate feed. Then we put it into the millennial investing feed, which is our existing feed to combine the two is our larger feed. Now that show is getting 10,000 downloads per episode. We didn't change the host. We didn't change the, the frequency. We didn't change the topic. We didn't change anything. We just put it in a new feed. It got three times as many downloads. Now we have three times as much inventory ad inventory to sell. Now we just three X our revenue just by moving it from one feed to the other. And so that's, that's how we think about monetization right now. Have you explored newsletters much or new, like subscription model? Like what other business models have you guys uh, explored or even other formats? Yeah. So we're not really interested in launching new shows at the moment. Doesn't mean we never will. Uh, but yeah, we have explored newsletters. That's actually what I'm spearheading right now is our newsletter business unit, basically what we call it. Uh, it's our newest product or service that we offer. I'm actually not hosting any podcasts anymore. I hosted one for two or three years, hosted the other one for two or three years. We've kind of handed those off to other hosts now. And I, I oversee the management and growth of them, but I'm leading the newsletter now because that's our biggest focus now is, is the newsletter. We've tried other things. We've tried courses. We've tried, we have a software tool. We've tried a SaaS tool. And, you know, for all intensive purposes, for like relative success, they've been successful. Like we've had a software tool that does low, low five figures a month. And like for an individual person who just has one podcast and they're trying to do a SaaS tool, like that's awesome. That's great. Uh, and that, that can make you a lot of money, but for a business, a full company that we're trying to grow and scale, it's, it's just not enough. So we consider that as a failure. Uh, our courses, again, same thing, low five figures a month in course sales, just not enough for the enterprise to really grow and scale for us to focus on that. So those two things have really been the biggest two products or services that kind of go really well with podcasts and information online businesses. So I uh, haven't had great success with that. We're really trying to work on our newsletter now. We just launched it in July and we're, you know, so six months, five months in, six months in, and we're, we're having some success here. We're, we're a little late to this game now. We have very strong first mover advantage with the podcast. We're not really benefiting from that very much. 
uh, for, uh, for the newsletter. They already exist. Morning Brew, The Hustle, I mean, they're all talking about business. We're talking about specifically investing, but these exist as well. So yeah, we're, we're, we're having success, but it's definitely a much more competitive market than we, we experienced with the podcast at first. Yeah. And is the, uh, are you going after a subscription model or is it um, how you think about the, the, all and ads. the, yeah, all ads. And, and is the newsletter itself like a combination of, of the best uh, insights from the podcast or from the content? How do you think about structuring? It's more news than it is. So we, we have kind of two parts. It's news and what we call a deep dive. And that deep dive can be, uh, sometimes it's from the podcast. Yeah. Sometimes we'll pull in like, oh, we had Ray Dalio on the other day. We'll talk about the most important things we learned from Ray Dalio and we'll do a, a nice write up on that. That'll be, be kind of like the longer section, but it can also be our writer, Sean. He just read a great book and he really liked it. He wants to talk about a concept from that, or he watched a YouTube video or, I mean, anything that that's related to investing in business that we can talk about, we'll, we'll go in that section. But yeah, we do try to tie in the podcast if we can. Yeah. How do you think about which guests go on kind of which podcasts and, and do you, do you, do you release on both feeds often or how do you think about that calculus? Cause often a guest could be appropriate for like, you know, these are related topics, obviously. The only one that is really tough between is millennial investing and we city billionaires. The rest are pretty clear because one's Bitcoin. So if you're crypto, you're going on the Bitcoin show and not even crypto, we just only do Bitcoin. So if you're Bitcoin related, it's going on the Bitcoin fundamentals show. Uh, William Green for Richer, Wiser, Happier, he just does his own thing. He chooses his own guests and like he'll never take an inbound request. He picks who he wants and that's it. Uh, real estate, again, it's our real, it's our only real estate show. So if you're real estate related, you go there. So that kind of just leaves millennial investing and we steady billionaires. A lot of times they'll, there's overlap. So let's just say Brian for all the really big name in the investing world, 400,000, 500,000 followers on Twitter. Great for both shows. He's been on both shows multiple times. If we have the same guest, we just try not to overlap them. Like we won't have them release the same week. We'll try to space them out maybe a month or two. Uh, and the reality is they don't want to come on that frequently anyway. So we just try to space them out if we can. But generally, uh, we don't have too, too much overlap there. But but when we do, we just try to split up the timing of them all. That's all. When you were starting out, if you knew then what you know now, what, uh, what are some things you, you might have done differently? Well, the biggest things is I would just do a lot of the stuff that we talked about from the get-go. Like we, we tested all this stuff that, and we know it now, but back then, if I was starting a podcast now, I would, and I was going to have multiple shows. I'd put everything in one feed. I would not worry about getting the biggest names. I would really try to focus on getting people that are going to share the show that have a decent sized audience. And I would try to guest on as many podcasts as I could. Those are the three things that I think are going to move the needle for you, especially for new shows. That's those, that if I was starting a new show today, those are the three things that I would focus on. Going back to the, the main feed, how do you think about the um, the cadence? Like, are, are is it optimal to have three times a week and people just kind of tune into the ones they like versus one time a week versus, you know, every day? What have you learned there? Yeah, it's a good question. It's actually something we're dealing with right now. We're, we're trying to decide, do we care more about total number of downloads monthly or do we care about how many episode downloads we're getting per episode, right? So you might release five episodes a month and get a million downloads. And so your average is going to be 200,000 per episode, or you could release 10 episodes and get 2 million, let's say 5 million 
you know, you do your the total versus the the per episode is is really what you want to focus on. If you want to do more per episode, then you need to re- produce less. If you want more per month, you need to produce more. Your average is going to go down, but your total is going to go up. And so for us, we're battling that. Like, do we want more total or per episode? And then also, the more you do, the the worse the quality is going to be. So that's the other piece. We're trying to balance quality with more downloads. We want as many downloads as possible total because that's how we make money. We make 95% of our money through ads. The more impressions, more downloads we have, the more we can sell, the more money we make. But if, and so in theory, seven episodes a week would be, would be good. One a day. And that would be best. But we can't produce the quality that we want seven days a week. It's just not possible. So that hinders us. So I, I would say the most you can produce while maintaining the quality is, is what you want to do. That, that's very helpful. You mentioned what you would do differently on like a production level. I'm curious on the business level, you know, you've tried some things, you know, they didn't have the effect that you wanted, but as you think about the ultimate like media company, are, are there ways that you would have either structured it differently or pursued different paths, maybe like a newsletter earlier or something but like, what would you have done differently on like the business level? I would have done everything earlier. I would have done everything sooner. I would have, you know, kind of success has been a little bit of our own hindrance because we made so much money from podcasts advertising in the beginning that one, it didn't make sense to focus anywhere else, right? You're making significant amount of money. You're doubling down. Why not double down on what's working versus game, you know, take your eye off the ball and focus on something else that may or may not work. And, you know, it's really just work on what's working. And that, that was kind of our hindrance. And then the second was that not only that, but it's like, it just, it just didn't make sense for us at the time because of that. Uh, and then, so that's what I would do. I would do differently. I would do it earlier. I would kind of prime the audience more frequently. Like I think at first, if they had talked about products like courses and newsletters and stuff earlier on, the audience as it grew would have been more and more used to it. It would have been ingrained versus now it's just kind of plopped in there and, it, and it's much harder to get the audience to be used to it than it than it would have been if you started. In terms of picking shows, so you mentioned you're, you're not doing new shows for a while, but let's just hypothetically say you were. I'm curious to get you know, your perspective on how you would think about it, knowing what you know now and, and broadly like your advice for people who are thinking about how to evaluate kind of white space or opportunity for new shows or um, just kind of pick which, which shows to, to do who are, who are thinking of building networks. How, how would you recommend thinking about that? Are you going to host or are you going to hire a host? Um, let's say hi- hire a host. Because if you're going to do it yourself, I would say pick something you're passionate about, period. Uh, don't, you're not going to find you're probably not going to find a space that doesn't have a podcast. That's not like untapped. Like you're going to be in a, in an ocean that's probably already filled with, with competitors, the podcast, there's just so many podcasts. Now you're not probably not going to be the first one to do it. So you need to be passionate about something. Now, if you're going to hire somebody, it's kind of the same idea. Find somebody that's passionate about what you want the show to be about, I think is the biggest thing. Like I said, you're not going to be the first one to do the podcast, find somebody who's really passionate about the topic. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, when it comes to like picking the niche, think about like what you want to, what you want to sell, pick up, you know, if, if it's just purely ads, maybe stay a little bit more broad so that you can try to grow it as big as you can. If you're going to try and sell a course, tailor it to that. If you're going to try and do a newsletter, tailor it maybe a little bit more to that. If you're going to do, you know, think about what your end goal is with it if, and you kind of adjust accordingly. Yeah. I, I've been fascinated by the businesses like uh, industry dive who've you know taken these these b2b niches like food and utilities and waste 
and created publications for it. And I'm curious if that would work for other formats. Like I'm, I'm focused on tech because that's what I know. That's what I'm excited about. But, but if I crush that and thinking more broadly, like I wonder if there's an opportunity, whether it's podcasts, whether it's YouTube or, or even newsletters to create kind of like definitive trade media um, that's, that's super niche that you could build, you know, but has high spend and you can build other products on top of it too. Um, but for kind of newer formats besides just publications. 100%. I think there is. You just, you have to go into it knowing that the business model is not going to be ads because you won't make money. That said, if you have a hyper-targeted audience, you can still sell ads. You sell it differently. You sell it because you have a hyper-targeted audience. So if you're going to sell, if the business model is to just get as many listeners as you can, you're going to have a pretty low CPM, but you can make that up in scale. Now, if you're going to sell ads and you're going to be really, really niche, you're, you know you're not going to have scale, so your CPMs are going to have to be a lot higher, and that can happen. If you're, you know, let's say, let's say you're going to make a podcast, you know, Andrew Wilkinson, he's in, he's on Twitter, in tech, he just started, he he does newsletters about specific locations. If you're an advertiser that really wants to hit that location, you're you're willing to pay a little bit more because you know everybody is from that location that reads it. Versus if you're going to go national with, you know, a national newsletter or a national news channel, right? So kind of the same idea with this podcast is you're going to probably get a lower total dollar amount, but your CPM per download is going to be a lot higher. So keep that in mind. But I, I think generally, if you're going to go for a smaller show, don't plan on your business model being solely ads. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking for the podcast empires and newsletter empires. I want to target like, you know, Substack or Beehive for the newsletter and, and podcast podcast players and stuff like that, but only for the related episodes. And there's probably not a difference for them if it's its own podcast or if it's like its own segment on a media empires podcast. And if anything, they should want the latter because it'll be more people listening to it. Um, so that's, that's my hope anyways, that they'll appreciate the benefits of segmentation while also getting the benefits of um, scale or higher scale by combining feeds. I think in that case, it's probably okay because people like, let's say you're a podcast player, people who have a newsletter probably have a podcast too and vice versa versus if you're doing like, local landscaping or local real estate, you know, things like that. It's going to be a little bit different than something that's totally unrelated. Totally. And and I was even suggesting even like further, which is like, let's say it's Monday's podcast, Wednesday's YouTube and Friday's newsletters that a podcast player would advertise all the Monday episodes, a YouTube player, YouTube company would advertise all the Wednesday ones and a newsletter one would advertise all the Friday ones. Yeah, you can absolutely do that. We've run into some logistical challenges operationally to do that. Uh, it's a little bit harder to, to run the ads, but depending on your host, you might be able to do it a little bit better than us. And like I said, we have a lot of episodes. It's, it's a little bit, a lot of ads. So it's, it's kind of hard to do, but if you're doing it like that with just three, it, it might be, might be a little bit easier depending on who your host is. Yeah. Talk, talk about your advice on working with the hosts themselves. Cause there, there's different ways in which I could, I could hire people who are hosts across multiple shows. I could contract and they just host in one show, but I could just pay them. I could like a joint venture with them. If they already have a show, I could like invest in it and own a percentage of it. Um, how do you recommend podcast networks work with with hosts in kind of long-term win-win relationships? I think this is probably the best question you've asked. Uh, this is, all everything you mentioned works. I, we've used every model that you mentioned. We've seen them all work. We've seen them all fail. This is at the core, this is all about incentives. So before anything, I would spend the most time thinking about this. If you haven't already, read Charlie Munger, read what Charlie Munger says about incentives, 
and spend the most time thinking about this. And then the second thing is probably thinking about second most amount of time would be the host. And then the third would be the topic, et cetera. So I think you really need to get the incentives right from the get-go. That's going to be really important. And each, I can't tell you do this, do that, because they all have pros and cons. Like what, if you joint venture with somebody, you're giving up some of your upside, but they're going to be a lot more invested. They are probably going to want to work a lot harder to make it grow versus if they're paid, I don't know, a thousand dollars per episode, do they really care if it grows? Not really, because they're getting paid a thousand dollars per episode, but you have all the upside. So there's pros and cons and, and employee versus contractor versus multiple shows versus bonus structures and, and, and things like that. Generally, we prefer to pay somebody a salary and then give them a bonus if their episodes perform well and we keep most of the upside. But I mean, we've seen a lot of different things, a lot of different things work. It also depends on your exclusivity. So if somebody is allowed to build and sell their own products and services, build their own personal brand while still hosting your show, maybe you do just give them a fixed rate. You keep all the upside. They can build their own thing as well. Briefly mention it, sprinkle it in every once in a while. If you're very strict on exclusivity and they can't talk about anything else they're building and their brand, their personal brand needs to be really tied into the show, you kind of have to structure the incentives differently. So I'd, I'd really recommend spending the most time thinking about this. And every time you think you're going to be just about done, you're going to think, oh, man, that it's not going to work here. It's not going to work there. So really write out and think about the pros and cons of each, each way. Yeah, that, 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 that's very helpful. The, um, one more thing I wanted to ask. Um, anything that comes to mind that I, that I ha- haven't asked you that you feel uh, is important learning for people aspiring to build podcast networks? I think focusing on the content first, the quality of the content versus getting the perfect camera, perfect mic, perfect, et cetera. Does it hurt to have the great a great mic, great camera? Like if you have the money and you can do it right away, just do it. It's not going to hurt, but don't let it hold you back. I think focus the most on the content and it's hard because with a mic and with a camera, it's really easy. Like you, it either looks good or it doesn't either. It sounds good or it doesn't. It's yes or no. You, you do this exact thing and it works. You don't do this and it doesn't. So with content, it's really hard. It's really hard to know what works. It's really hard. I've seen people, but I've seen people with horrible cameras who recorded on the bottom of their phone like this, have videos that do tens of millions, hundreds of millions of views and they have horrible audio and video quality, but the topic is just so good. It's so relevant. People love it. People want to hear it. They share it, etc. So I think spending a lot of time on focusing on that more than, than something else. And once you hit some scale, if, if you're not investing enough in it up front, yeah, get the right camera, get the right mic, et cetera. But if you have to pick one of the other up front, it's really try to dial in the content to what people really, really want. Yeah. On the YouTube side, are you guys exploring kind of creating content that's native for YouTube or even exper- experimenting with reels or shorts just because YouTube's discovery is, is, is so much better than, than podcasts? I, I, I wonder if that's an even bigger opportunity in some ways. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so we have. We've done native. We Our native videos haven't done that great. We post our, all of our podcasts on there. So we have a, a channel now for each podcast and we also have a channel just for native videos where we recap books and just all kinds of investing topics, teach topics. So th- there are native videos. They don't 
do any better really than the podcasts do. So um, we haven't had great success there. We haven't really done a lot with shorts. We made a brief, brief uh, foray into TikTok, didn't really do well. So none of that has really worked all that well, all that well for us really. It's, but I do, I do like the discovery. I do think there's a lot of value there. I do think there's a big opportunity on YouTube for sure. That's what I don't like about podcasting is there's not a lot of discovery. Yeah. In terms of the, the other kind of services like, uh, you know, sponsorships or production, like how much of it should I build in house? Cause I, I could either, you know, hire people to do it internally. I could contract people. Some people are asking me to invest or be a partner in their agency, but then I, when I'm a minority partner, I don't own it, whether it's on the, you know, production side or the getting the brand deal sponsorship side, what capabilities do you think is important to build internally versus fine to outsource? Really depends on, on you and what you like, what you want to do. So everything can be outsourced. Everything can be in-house right now. Everything for us is in-house, but it was not like that at first we outsource. So right now we have in, uh, in-house, we have audio editing. We have a full team of full-time audio editors. We have full-time sales. We have uh, full-time everybody versus before we had external audio editors. We had external sales. We had external everything, graphics designers, you know, everything. And now everything is in-house. So really depends on, on how you want to do it, kind of the budget, et cetera. Uh, it's easier to just outsource it, but the quality might not be as good. You have really good quality control when everything is internal. You have the right incentives. They're all focused on just you. They don't have a bunch of clients etc. So there's pros and cons there, but that comes at a little bit higher cost. We basically just brought everything in-house as soon as we could. So at first, wasn't making a lot of money, so we outsourced it. And then once we could pay full-time people to come in-house, we did. With sales, it was kind of the same idea. We said, okay, we're paying these agencies 20, 30, 40% on commissions. We're doing, you know, let's say a million dollars in sales, just round number, random number. We're going to give up two to four hundred thousand dollars. Like we could just hire somebody to come in house and, and do this, and it's cheaper. So those are the types of things to consider where you're at scale. If you're going to do multiple shows, it might be easier to just have a team that's that's focused on it. Now, my personal opinion, this is separate from the podcast company, is that I would probably try to turn those cost centers into profit centers, and we don't do this here because. It's just not the business. It doesn't fit with what the company wants to do. But if I was, if it was my podcast company personally, and I was just doing this myself and, and my recommendation to you is to can at least consider this, you don't have to do it, but consider it is to turn those cost centers into profit centers. Uh, like AWS from Amazon, right? We have a team. I would say our audio editing team is world-class. We do some of the best audio editing that I've ever seen, ever heard. I personally would outsource that to other podcasters and make money. Now we're getting all our podcasts edited for free and we can now make money from it. We personally, as a podcast company, don't want to deal with that client facing product or service. So we're not doing it. But personally, for me, if it was my business solely, I would do it that way. Um, and you can do the same thing with graphics design. You could do it with sales. You could, you know, even if the podcasts aren't in your network, you can do sales for other podcasts. You know, you're like, all right, I already have all this, these relationships. So uh, those are the things that I would consider if I were you. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I I I am considering that, and that's why they're making me my, kind of minority partners uh, offers. And I'm saying, oh well, actually, I want to be a majority partner just so we own it, and you know, we could benefit from it. And then because then there's this question of like, if we discover a podcast, should I be trying to get it in our network or get it like to this production company? 
et cetera. And the closer we are aligned there, the easier it is. And, and that means it, if we own it, but it's something I'm definitely um, considering on the production side, as well as the content side, uh, or just like marketing side as well. What's nice about, if you bring it in house, you have all the, up, you have a lot of upside, but if you just partner with them, you're still at least getting that revenue. And you can also, if you just bring it in house, uh, if you just use it as like a client, rather than in-house, you can do shows that aren't necessarily in your niche. So, you know, you could do a, a female podcast if you're doing an all-male one, you know, or whatever. You could do uh, gardening if you're doing tech, you know, like you could do those people's podcasts as clients versus like you're not going to want to bring them in-house. So uh, I think your opportunity to scale with client-based business is a little bit bigger because you're going to run out of podcasts that you could bring in-house. It's just there's not that many uh, from that perspective. But from a client work, you essentially unlimited. You get every podcast that's out there if you want. Totally. That's a fascinating insight. That's a, it's probably a great place to, to wrap. You've, uh, you've dropped a lot of knowledge bombs on, on this podcast for, for myself, but also other people who are starting podcasts or podcast networks. Robert, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. Uh, for people who want to check out your work, they can check out you know uh, the Investor Podcast Network. You guys have a great website that lists all, all your podcasts. A anywhere uh, you can follow you on Twitter. Uh, we'll have that in the show notes. Anywhere else uh, you want to point them to or any plugs? No, those two places are the best. Go to theinvestorspodcast.com. That's where all the podcast stuff is. And then, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at uh, the Robert Leonard without the D at the end. There's not enough characters in our usernames <laughs> to, to have my full name. So, uh, yeah, Twitter Twitter's where I talk about some of like my personal projects, personal stuff that I'm working on. Uh, and then the, if you're invest, interested in investing, you can uh, check out the podcast as well. Awesome. Turpentine is a network of podcasts, newsletters, and more covering tech, business, and culture, all from the perspective of industry insiders and experts. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from AI with Cognitive Revolution to Econ 102 with Noah Smith. Our other shows drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, and investors, like Moment of Zen and my show Upstream. We're looking for industry-leading hosts and shows along with sponsors. If you think that might be you or your company, email me at eric at turpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co.